This is Bigger Pockets Daily. I'm your host, Tyler, and happy Friday to you. This is the show where I read articles from some of the sharpest minds in real estate investing. If you want to hear interviews with some of the authors of these articles, check out the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, hosted by Brandon Turner and David Green. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. Meet RentApp, the seamless, secure, free way to collect rent. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. You don't even need to download anything. RentApp setup is straightforward for renters, and there are no apps for landlords to download. Both get peace of mind with a digital transaction history. That means no more lost checks, managing a dozen different payment apps, or even wondering whether payment was sent. Landlords say RentApp is the most convenient way to collect rent, and we think you'll agree. RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Multifamily real estate is at risk of crashing. Here's why. By Scott Trench. I'm worried about a significant decline or crash in commercial real estate valuations, specifically including multifamily in 2023 and 2024. I feel that the red flags are so clear and all pointing in the same direction that I'd be neglecting my duty to this community to fail to make my stance as clear as possible and to defend that stance in great detail. So, in today's, tomorrow's, and the next day's podcast, <laughs> I'll walk you through my thesis outlining four primary threats to multifamily valuations. Following this summary, 
Part one will be cap rates that are lower than interest rates. Part two, I'm not betting on meaningful rent growth in 2023. Part three, I'm betting on interest rates rising in 2023. Part four, high interest rates put pressure on valuations and debt underwriting. Part five, news, anecdotes, and further reading. And part six, ideas to protect wealth and make money in this environment. Again, all of these parts of my argument will be laid out in great detail over the course of the next three days. Please note that real estate is local. My analysis in these next three podcasts is reflective of the average across the United States, though I do dive into just a couple of large regions. And lastly, I want to address up front that I consider myself an amateur in understanding commercial real estate markets, perhaps approaching journeyman status. I am by no means an expert in them. I invite debate and would welcome analysis from anybody who's ready to present a bull case to my points that we're going to outline in the next three days. Please feel free to go ahead and email me at scott at biggerpockets.com or just find the article at biggerpockets.com and then join the debate in the comments section. Keep it clean, please. Okay, so let's get to the topic of cap rates are lower than interest rates right now. On average, interest rates are higher than cap rates in the multifamily space in the United States. Investors entering into commercial multifamily do so because they want to generate a return. Return is not expressed as a capitalization rate or cap rate, which is more of a metric used to value properties in relation to one another, but rather as an internal rate of return, IRR. One can generate a strong IRR in high and low cap rate environments, just as they can generate a strong IRR in high and low interest rate environments. IRR is dependent on two primary factors, the amount of cash flow the property produces, and the timing of those cash flows, and exit sale of the property and the timing. Increase rents quickly and sell at a premium price, and the IRR source do so slowly and sell at a higher cap rate than at the time of acquisition, and IRR plummets. Cap rates have been relatively low in a historical context for the last 10 years. This hasn't been an issue for folks in generating great IRR because interest rates were so low. In fact, low cap rates in many ways make it easier for investors to generate returns because each incremental dollar of NOI added to a property increases the valuation by a greater multiple. Increase NOI by $1 in a 10% cap rate environment and the property value increases by $10. Increase NRI by $1 in a 5% cap rate environment and the property increases in value by 20 Dollars. However, driving IRR becomes much, much harder in a negative leverage situation where cap rates are higher than interest rates. For reasons we will discuss throughout the next three podcasts, higher interest rates make it harder for buyers to qualify for attractive financing, increasing likely exit cap rates and putting downward pressure on IRR. And much of the basis for an IRR projection will come from increasing rents quickly. In other words, the market is more dependent today than at any point in the last decade on cap rates remaining low, rents continuing to rise quickly and or a return to the historically low interest rates we saw in the last five years. 
negative leverage is the market's way of communicating that it is all in on appreciation or falling interest rates. And as I will spell out, I think either outcome has a low probability. While it's all about IRR for the asset in question in the end, I find it interesting that even without having to run the numbers on a specific deal or a marketplace of deals, we can already make a simplistic observation about commercial real estate just by examining the historical spread of cap rates versus interest rates, which includes all real estate, not just multifamily in isolation. But note that multifamily cap rates are typically lower, on average, than other types of commercial real estate. Unless one has a stronger thesis for rent growth and or interest rate reduction than has been the case for the past decade or so, a spread between interest rates and cap rates of about 150 BPS is the norm. That implies cap rates rising from 5% to 6.5%. While that may not seem like a big deal, if this were to normalize quickly, it's equivalent to about a 23% reduction in asset values. Yikes. Okay, so now let's move on to how I'm not betting on rent growth in 2023. To understand how rents might be impacted this year, we have to think about supply and demand. I have bad news on the supply front and a kind of a mixed bag for demand. So let's start the discussion by looking at supply. Backlogs for new construction and multifamily are at the highest level since the 1970s. Backlogs for total homes under construction are at the highest levels we have data for. Experts like Ivy Zellman take the stance that developers will monetize this inventory as soon as it is completed, essentially, come hell or high water. The holding costs and bridge debt, kind of similar to hard money loans for commercial development that builders use to finance projects, are very expensive and thus are a powerful incentive to finish construction and refinance or sell as soon as possible. As Brian Burke of Praxis Capital mentioned on our On the Market podcast recently, development takes time and will impact various regions differently. Some markets may not see much new supply. Some markets will see a ton of supply come online, but have so much new demand that there will be no struggle with absorption. And some markets will see supply come online and struggle to fill the units, putting downward pressure on rents as vacancies increase. The South and West are at the highest risk of seeing massive new supply coming online. Note that while you may have heard about permits or housing starts declining, remember that development takes time. Permitting and development projects that were started in late 2021 and early 2022 will come online in 2023 and 2024. Projects can take years or even decades to permit, start, and finally complete. A lack of new housing starts does little to stem the onslaught of new inventory already underway that is about to hit the market. The effects of this new construction boom are just getting started. And it doesn't take a big stretch of the imagination to extrapolate that this glut of new housing will put downward pressure on real estate prices of all types, as well as downward pressure on rents, as more housing stock is competing for the same pool of renters. All right. Let's move on to demand. The biggest demand question, in my opinion, is around household formation. 1.6 million new units coming online is no big deal if we're expecting 1.6 million new households to form, right? That allows for those units to be rented or occupied, absorbed, without any type of pricing shock. 
and everyone's been talking about a massive housing shortage for years. Am I right? And it's true. America typically adds households at a faster rate than we add inventory. And there is a housing shortage. That's why real estate prices and rents have skyrocketed over the past few years. There are just two problems with this position as a defense of rising rents going forward. First, household formation data was thrown way off during the pandemic, with over a million COVID-19-related deaths and a huge reshuffling of households. This makes it really difficult for any economist to predict household formation. Second, the housing shortage has already been priced in to current rents and home prices. The shortage, coupled with low interest rates, led to nearly 40% appreciation in home prices and a 26% increase in rents during the pandemic. Diving deeper into household formation, during the pandemic, we see that millions of households apparently formed. So what's going on here? The question's really not clear to me, and I haven't found a particularly compelling assessment of the situation from an economist I like. I'd appreciate it if a commenter maybe could point me to a study or analysis that makes sense and allows us to extrapolate the future well. Again, you can always email me. In the absence of a quality analysis that I can access, my guess is that people simply moved around. I think this distorted the data in ways that we don't really fully understand yet. People moved back in with mom and dad, perhaps folks who live and work in places like New York City, San Francisco, L.A., kept paying their leases, but also moved out of the city to a second home. And perhaps this was counted as a second household formation. We don't know. Perhaps divorces and breakups spiked, and when a couple splits up, that magnifies household formation. Two people each needing a place to live, each head of household instead of just one family unit. But it's obvious that we didn't actually see millions of new households form. My bet is that we have an artificially high estimate of the number of current households in this country right now, and that kind of scares me when trying to project rent growth next year. Furthermore, note that even without the craziness in this metric, household formation data can wax and wane with the economy. In good times, folks may buy multiple houses and move out from shared apartments with roommates or move out of their parents' basement. In recessions, folks can move back home with mom and dad or bring in roommates again. Household formation can decline quickly. The potential offset. Rents could rise again in 2023. There are always multiple variables in any important economic metric, and rent is definitely no exception. While I am fearful of the downward pressure from massive rental increases over the past two years, supply growth, and the question marks around household formation, I do want to acknowledge that there is a major tailwind, upward pressure to rent prices. Interest rates. With mortgage rates doubling in a 12-month period, affordability in purchasing homes, the alternative to renting for millions of Americans, has spiked. One study from Adam concluded that just a year ago, it was more affordable to own than to rent in 60% of U.S. markets, a stat that has flipped, with the 40-50% to 50 increase in monthly payments due to higher interest rates. That affordability switch will put upward pressure on rents. It's because of this pressure that I think rents are a kind of a coin flip in 2023. I don't trust any economic forecasts about rent growth right now. And without the upward pressure on rents from high interest rates, 
I'd be willing to make a meaningful bet that rents would decline on average across the country. And that is our show for today. We will go ahead and pick this up tomorrow with part two of our multifamily real estate is on the brink series of podcasts. Thanks for joining us. There you have it. Another episode of Bigger Pockets Daily in the books. Interested in taking your learning to the next level? Register for a free webinar. They're live, they're free, and we do them every week. Sign up at biggerpockets.com webinar. And I'll see you back here tomorrow.